I think it's okay to take smaller profits sometimes in order to, you know, provide a better product. And it's okay to take a smaller profit in order to, you know, dictate a better speed of the project, right? Because some of these better designs would sell a lot faster. Some of these designs, you know, would create that brand image of a developer out there as well. And Hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Buy Property Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about how to select a good product market fit when you're doing a development and why does a good design add a lot of value. You're also going to talk about, you know, space usage and, you know, the building envelopes and, you know, does, you know, building high and mighty means higher profits. Now, before we get into a lot of these details, let me introduce my co-host today, Emma Holmes. You must know Emma from the last episode, amazing episode that we did with Emma. Hello, Emma, to the show today. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me on again. And Emma, we are talking about product market fit today. Talk to, take us through, take us through. What does that really mean? Yeah, great um, subjects, actually. And something that really feeds into, you know, why you kind of want to have a designer and, and why you want to think outside the box when you're starting to do some of these developments. And what kind of really are, I guess, the constraints of your site, the possibilities of your site, and what's really going to fit in with that local neighborhood and area character as well. So, yeah, I mean, I guess product market fit is kind of, it can be as simple as going for a drive around the local area and and sort of having a look at what some of the precedents are in that space. Like, is there a lot of, you know, renovations and extensions? Is there any heritage overlays? Have you got a lot of subdivisions happening and or is there you know kind of zone commercial sort of stuff where there might be sort of shops or a medical center below and some you know apartments or something above so it's always different um, and that's kind of what makes this job so interesting but it's just yeah sort of locating what's going to get you the best uh, yield and yes yes and look I mean if I step uh, if I take a step back you know from my perspective and I you know discuss these product market fit requirements you know with the architect uh, with the town planner, you know, thinking about it from a from a build, even from a resale perspective, right? You're talking to a real estate agent as well. What you're trying to basically think about is, you know, what is going to sell in the right amount of time with the maximum possible value. Basically, that's what your aim is, right? And so while you're thinking about the design side of things as well, you're also thinking about who is the ultimate buyer that's going to be. And so you're almost like taking yourself out of the picture and saying, well, I'm not emotionally connected this this house or this place because I'm not going to live there. I'm going to think about the persona of the person who is going to live here, be it an, you know, person who is old age person, you know, they might be downsizing or they might be family with two kids. And how would they want to live here? And what would be the convenience that you would want to create for these people so that they can emotionally purchase a house and pay the top value? while buying the product, which is efficiently built, good design, and a nice place to live. You know, you're creating a home for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, I love what you're talking about. It's a buyer profile, essentially. And sometimes we kind of forget that real estate piece and we sort of think, oh, that happens at the end. You know, you just present them this lovely marketing drawings and then they just do the hard, you know, the heavy lifting of going out and sort of finding the buyer. But if you sort of bypass like that thought process and, and bring it to the forefront of your mind when you're designing, then it absolutely is that. I'd be thinking, you know, we've got Kelly and Dave, they're a young family, um, they're budget conscious, but they're also looking to expand their family. They might have a pet. So do they need a yard or do they need some outdoor living space? And, you know, they're going to have a family. So they need a certain number of bedrooms or, 
a little bit more storage and amenity kind of in the space. And once you really start to create that profile, it can definitely inform the way that I would design something. And like you say, even if it's an older area, then you got your downsizers and you need to start to think about like, is there stairs in this property? Is there lifts? What's the accessibility like? And how's that going to work in terms of future-proofing that space so that the family can sort of grow with it or maybe that's their final destination and they're just going to live their days out in that home. So you need to make sure it can kind of adapt and work with the different people that are going to be in there as well. Definitely. Now, there is this stereotype, you know, in bet- between developers because everything about is about profit, right? You know, it's about the bottom line. It's about the, pro- you know, pro- profit on cost and margin on cost or, you know, IRR or cash on cash return. And so naturally people think, you know, more is better. You know, if I can fit that extra house in here or if I can get that extra bedroom in, in here, it would always be better. Ooh, you know, take us through, you know, what do you think? I think that maybe that used to work in the past when there was sort of an undersupply. And then now there's kind of a lot of developments coming out. There's also new legislation with the NCC that sort of talks about, you know, the quality of the living spaces or, you know, good apartment design guidelines and things like this that really determine like, hey, this is the minimum circulation space or this is the minimum bedrooms and, you know, natural light and sort of solar orientation and all of these kinds of things. And I think it would be a little bit amiss for someone to think that consumers aren't getting a little bit more savvy, particularly in the age of social media and like information out there that they're going to know if you're sort of doing something that's not really that great and you really don't want to risk your reputation or realistically getting stock left over if people just aren't purchasing it because there's a better building down the road or there's just something about it that they're not really liking and it's too late to kind of change it if you've already, you know, started construction, you're trying to sell this thing off the plan and then, oh, I wish the wardrobe was bigger or like, where's the linen press or something, so. And also, like, I mean, when you think about, you know, the product market fits out of things and, you know, more means better, of course, you know, the quality plays a big part on this, right? You know, I feel that, you know, people never get that right. You know, especially developers, you know, they never get it right. Either, you know, they are too emotionally attached and they over-design it or they are too emotionally unattached and they under-design it. And so they are thinking about, oh, I'm going to build, you know, 20 of these on an, in an RGZ zone so that, you know, I can sell these two-bedroom apartments, which are three levels. And, you know, I'm going to get the best bang for the buck for these. Or, you know, they build these massive four-bedroom, 45-square-meter houses and they think that, you know, just because they're bigger, you know, and a buyer would appreciate more and pay more. And there is a good balance between the two, right? You know, how much quality do you put in into a house is dictated by that product market fit as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, what you're saying, like quality over quantity. And you kind of really need to have that buyer profile piece because you don't really know who your your buyer is going to be. And you don't want to do anything too specific that like no one would want it because it's kind of gone way too far down that direction where even let's say the materials palette from the designer might be like really niche and then it's just not going to be everyone's flavor. So you sort of have to work out how to pull that thing back. But yeah, again, you don't want to design, let's say an enormous apartment. And at that point, someone would rather just purchase a house and land. So you're kind of really trying to figure out what's a good balance to have of those spaces and being able to take a step back and look at what is really actually selling in that area and what are people wanting? What is the sort of appetite out there in the market and therefore how can we do the best possible product and version of that you know in our building that's going to be better than your competitors because there's always someone chasing your tail and coming up behind you and if you found a great site chances are someone might be building even right next door and you really don't want to be going up against someone with you know a poorly designed space or or something that you've just whacked a rectangle on there for yield and it just doesn't have that appeal definitely 
And I think that's the most important part that you are talking about that that competition that comes in the area with a better design and they might charge a bit premium, but you know, they would sell a lot faster and they might set a completely different precedence in that, you know, pocket that you're trying to build something in there. Understanding that, you know, once the designs are finalized and, you know, it's the shard is shovel, shuffle, shovel ready and you have started the the slabs, that's it, right? You can't go back and change a lot of these things. And so, you know, just leave such a bad taste in the mouth. You know, I'll, I'll like to share this story for this particular person that I met last week. And this is, this is an interesting one. So he was doing a feasibility on the side and he was like, oh, I'm building 27 square house. And I kept asking him, why 27? Like, I know that area quite well, you know, 24 would just sell at the same price. And so while we were talking, you know, I took like literally five minutes to see what was developing in the area. And there was a house that was sold literally 24 squares and that sold for 1.4. And I was like, so what are you trying to achieve? Like you've got 24 at 1.4 million and so that's your base case scenario basically build that you know this is exactly the design that you want right because there is precedence there and he's like oh but you know if i do 27 then someone might pay me 1.6 or 1.7 i was like no it doesn't work that way you know that three squares means nothing you know if the design is not effective it's not you know people don't pay for bedrooms or toilets or or a corridor exactly (laughs) you know just some long corridor leading to nowhere and they're like oh but it's 27 squares yeah and he's like oh but you know i'm building a big but like you have added cost to it you know multiply that cost by you know 17 eighty thousand dollars that's the cost that you're paying for it but the buyer might not look at it that way at all and so why do that and so i would rather you know, build a smaller design, which is a lot more efficient in use from a storage perspective, from an ambience perspective, from a livability perspective, and and charge a bigger premium by adding more premium inclusions in there rather than just, you know, stocking in a long, big house, you know, that doesn't, you know, gels, doesn't provide the view or does not provide, you know, the feel of the house when you basically go through it. Completely. Or even offering inclusions, you know, like even a volume builder does this, like at their core, you know, they might say, do you want a fireplace? Do you want nicer tiles? Do you want, you know, timber boards throughout instead of carpet? Like you can offer all of those inclusions because you'd have that kind of budget or contingency sort of put aside. But if you're just building something large for the sake of it, like I always say to, you know, developer clients that I've got, I'm like, it's not your house. Like I know that you are like falling in love with it and so am I. And I think it's great. And like, we're making this gorgeous space, but if I can pull this wall in, you know, by a meter or something, it's saving us room and it's going to cost you less. Like I would advise, you know, that we do it because it's just too big. Otherwise, it doesn't really make any sense unless you know, like you say, that in that area, people are, are demanding, you know, I want a bigger bedroom than a three by three for whatever reason. So definitely. And so I think space plays um, a, a really good and important part in a lot of these things, you know, same with the design and you know balancing it with the cost talk to us a bit about and this is something very new that i've come across and i'm not sure how to define this i was talking to an architect before and he said every house has a particular ambient sort of mood to it what does that mean what does mood of a house means look i guess every site kind of you know it's got its own story to tell like it's in it's in a particular area it's got a certain orientation it just has a feel, you know, like when you go out there as a designer, you really start to sort of paint a picture of what it could be and, you know, what the yard is or what the laundry is and how you kind of live your life. And as I'm designing stuff, I, I always picture myself like when I get home and I walk through the door, like what's the first thing I want to do? Do I want to take off my shoes, put away my coat? Have I got kids covered in mud that I want to put in the laundry and, you know, strip them and then chuck them in the shower and stuff? So 
I think the entire mood then starts to inform, you know, where, where are we? Like if we're out in the Dandenongs, for example, the material palette might be much more cosy because you're sort of almost got that rainforesty sort of country feeling out there, whereas inner city is going to be a lot more slick. It's going to be modern. It's got that, you know, kind of busy like urban worker feel to it. So I think each each place definitely gets influenced by its context. So that flows through the design. And a lot of these these things, you know, comes back to the renders as well, right? You know, people do the renders basically to dictate the mood as to, okay, what is how does the light feel inside the house versus outside? You know, how does the walkthrough feel? And, you know, there are 3D renders now and there are all these, you know, drawn shots, etc. all of these things. But, you know, my view of the world always is that, you know, these renders need to happen a lot earlier in the process, not just when... You know, the engineering is finalized and the structure is finalized. I know that, you know, people tend to usually do it at the tail end. What's your sort of view of the world? I mean, using Revit software, which I've used for over 10 years now, is kind of like quite early in on that, thankfully. But I mean, it's so quick and easy to transfer from Revit into Enscape, which is like a rendering program. And even without materials at a very early concept phase, I always pop a couple of cameras in the house or around the house or around the project site, whatever it is, and I'll do white cards. And it's just like the old phone call model that we would have used to build and you sort of trying to mess it up and show someone what it is. But it just gives someone a feeling of like, hey, you asked for this floating staircase. Here's what it kind of looks like. Or, you know, here's the master suite and this is what it feels like to stand in this bathroom. And, you know, people don't really understand floor plans. And I always think they do because I, I spend all my time, you know, bird's eye view looking down at this plan and and I'm like, do you love it? Like, and, you know, they're just going like, what is this? But I find there's such a, an emotional response from a 3D view because obviously that's how, you know, we experience the world. So I certainly try and get as many of those in front of people as possible to say, like, hey, you wanted a view of the pool. Like, here's what it feels like to look out through that curtain wall out into the pool or through this beautiful window out into the garden beyond the staircase and and really get their feedback on how they want it to be definitely look i mean i call the renders an eye of a client or an eye of a purchaser and basically that's what dictates you know how the site is going to look and feel you know when you're talking about some of these renders as well one important thing when we talk about developments and we talk about you know the product market fit and the good design is the use of space you know naturally you know people think that you know if i can stack you know three stories build them thin you know, I would capture more yield and, you know, increase profits because two bettors I'm, you know, maybe selling at, at a higher premium price than a, uh, than a three better and I can fit more on the block. You know, what do you, what do you feel about that? I mean, I guess it always costs more to go up than go out. So that's something good to remember, you know, like it's nice to sort of take advantage of the views and everything. And, and for sure, when you do an envelope study, you can kind of see what's, you know, available with the, the res code setbacks and things like that. But bigger, as we've sort of said, doesn't always mean better. It's sort of like the, the age-old question of like, what are we really trying to achieve with adding that extra story or adding that extra bedroom? Like, is it just going to be wasted space for someone? Um, does it actually mean anything? Does it have good orientation? Or is it sort of just some leftover corner thing? Or, you know, maybe it's blocking an opportunity where there could have been a window to access some natural light to a different part of the home or the property that would have made the overall amenity better. So it is a little bit of a question. And and also, I mean, you've got to consider not just, I think a lot of people get so focused on, yeah, like the plan and the yield and, and what that means so that you can say, you know, four bed, three bath, whatever. And it's like, have you considered the form of the outside? Because as the architect, I'm like, we're, we're holistically thinking about the whole thing all at once. And you really do want to make a beautiful form because realistically, you got 
your billboard out there. People are driving past this building going, wow, that looks phenomenal. Or I love the way they've, you know, integrated this planter box or the garden or this double story window or whatever it is. And and if you kind of lose sight of that throughout the process because you're just trying to push everything out and up, then you don't really end up with something that, that sort of speaks to anything other than, you know, just a mega yield for a max profit. And that's the thing, right? I think it's okay to take smaller profits sometimes in order to, you know, provide a better product. And it's okay to take a smaller profit in order to, you know, dictate a better speed of the project, right? Because some of these better designs would sell a lot faster. Some of these designs, you know, would create that brand image of a developer out there as well. And so people need to, you know, balance that, you know, how much profit is enough and, you know, how much push is enough. You know, sometimes, you know, you might go for a higher yielding property, you know, and you might, you know, put in two bidders, for example, or three stories, you know, three bidders, for example. But you know, the speed that it costs you to sell them and the, the holding cost that you pay against it, you know, is not enough, you know, to the price that you are demanding, you know, coming out of it or even the cost that is coming out of some of these things as well. And so, yeah, even as a designer, you know, like I always say to people, it's like, I would love to tick your entire wish list, um, you know, but sometimes you have to just learn when to let go. Like when is the clever decision of when to just say, you know what, we're never going to achieve absolutely everything in every project and specifically not if you're, you know, developing for profit. Like you need to work out what are the really core key things that I value and I really want to get into this project. And if you can't, just move it on to the next and sort of chalk it up as, you know, a lesson learned or an opportunity that that could be better integrated into a different project. Because the last thing that you need and it's something I do see is everyone, you know, has this Pinterest board and they come, whack, we want all of this stuff. And it's like, that's amazing, but it's a little bit overboard for, you know, this one space. And if you kind of do the keep it simple principle, whilst also just integrating really good quality design, then, you know, there's 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 always a next project, you know? Definitely, definitely. And also, I think, you know, one of the key learnings uh, from my experience has been that it's easier to give a perception to make a place look a lot more luxurious than spending that money, right? You know, naturally people think that, Quality means more money. Quality means that, you know, crazy amount of high finishes, you know, necessarily not, right? A design can provide that wow factor and, you know, and give you that illusion of, oh, this is a high quality home, whereas you're using basic inclusions in there as well, right? Oh, yeah. Great design will always trump, you know, spending loads of money on an expensive tile or something like that. Like, absolutely. If you have a well-designed space that functions and is really efficient as well, then, you know, you're going to just feel that in the space. It has a particular feeling about it because it's been spatially planned in the most perfect way. And I would sort of liken it to the old Kmart (laughs) theory, you know, it's like there are people who can make a beautiful home using really budget and affordable products because they know how to style them. I mean, it's kind of the same in design. If you have a really good eye for how to, you know, style and, and design a space that that really flows and works, then it's not always about having, you know, the latest and greatest, um, unless it's appliances, maybe, because I feel like people get a little bit funny about those. But yeah, again, it's, it's interesting, right? I think, you know, there are, you know, the, the Bosch's of the world and then, you know, Smeg is okay and, you know, Westinghouse is okay. It just depends on how pedantic your you know, persona for the client is, right? If, you, if you're building in Turak, you're not going to use Westinghouse appliances, right? So I think it's just important to understand, you know, who the market is and what sort of quality are you dictating, right? So quantity over quality, definitely, you know, it, it's, a, it's a balancing act when you play all of these things together. Uh, when you're thinking about the product market fit and the design and the speed and the profits, you know, all of these things are 
almost like interconnected and you're juggling like various different things at the same time to deliver that key profit for your own self. Yeah, and I mean, if you're if you're developing your, you know, well, developing yourself as a developer, but like you start to learn what you like and what sort of quality, you know, you like to put into your projects and what relationships you're building with some of those suppliers as well. So that can even create efficiencies and speed in terms of running your next portfolio because I've got repeat clients who they just prefer, you know, let's say Smeg, for example, or Miller, and so you know straight away that I'm going to re-specify those products in their next project or I'll find the latest and greatest from that brand because that's something that they've already dictated that they're happy with. So, you know, it's about sort of not reinventing the wheel every single time. You kind of really start to reinvent your your flavor or your color palette or whatever it is and then that can create efficiencies as well. Definitely. And also like when you talk about inclusions, you know, it goes down to that level of detail whether, you know, you need niches in your bathroom, does the tiling needs to be all the way to the top and you know, do you need overboards in the kitchen or overhangs in the kitchen or does the kitchen benchtop needs to, or the benchtop needs to be everywhere, for example, stone benchtops across the house and how detailed the joinery needs to be. And so a lot of these things are where the cost conversation needs to happen. Whereas I think the focus from a developer's perspective, especially a new developer, you know, focuses more on the building itself and make it bigger and, you know, ginormous or, you know, add fit in more. And, you know, they don't think about these little costs where they can you know, put less and charge more and give that illusion of, oh, you know, I'm bringing a better product out to the market. Yeah. And it's it's about having that um, knowledge or at least guidance from your designer about where to spend and where to save and what's really actually going to matter. Like in flooring, for example, it could be a massive difference between the two products. And that's why I always really love to order in samples and have those kind of in-person workshop meetings where I'm like, get a look and feel of this. Let's go and see it installed in the, you know, the manufacturer's warehouse or go to a joinery showroom and have a look at a sort of pre-made or prefabbed kind of product versus something really custom built by somebody on site and kind of get a feel for what it is that you think you want to do and that way that can sort of better inform but I also say like I mean there's plenty of builders or estimators who offer an early cost price estimate at concept phase and that can be as little as you know $750 in some cases when I've done it and you'd absolutely be mad not to have you know somebody have a look it's like quantity surveys you know you want check-ins along the way to be like here's where we're sitting for this where should we pull back or where do we kind of have a bit more free reign to integrate that into the design and that way I get to give a bit more of a hands-off reality check to the client or the investor so that they get a little bit more comfortable that things are aligning with their budget because there is certainly a little bit of a misconception out there that you know architects are just going to run away and design this amazing thing that's millions of dollars over budget and I'm sure there are people who have had that experience, unfortunately, or like things that have gone that way. But for me, I really do encourage that cost thing early on because I'm confident in the service that I'm providing. And I also think, you know, I'm not afraid to have someone check over my work because if I am getting a little bit too ahead of myself and designing something, you know, too far in the other direction, we can pull it back early on so that it doesn't involve a complete redesign when it's sort of way further down the line. Mm. I think that's one of the biggest problems that I've seen in the industry that a lot of developers, you know, if they're not experienced enough, they haven't, they don't have, you know, 20, 30 projects under the belt, you know, they don't understand the costing. Of course, you know, the build prices have changed quite dramatically over the last sort of two, three years as well, right? So, you know, while you trust the architect, you know, you're also trusting the architect with, you know, controlling the budget side of things, right? And so, but the builder comes in so late in the piece that, you know, by the time the structural has happened, the builder wants the whole world, right? You know, they want the energy reports, the structural, the engineering, you know, they want to know everything on working drawings. 
before they actually, you know, put the pen to the paper and say, this is what the code is going to look like. And so estimators play a big role in giving a reality check as to, okay, this is where the pr price is going to be. This is where you're thinking from a ballpark, you know, side of things. And, you know, that puts a, a better controls in place, proactive controls in place in a lot of these projects still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, amazing. Thank you for sharing all of this. Any parting words in relation to the product market fit and why is good design is better than just quantity? Yeah, I mean, the product market fit again is just down to like doing so much research and really taking your time to get to know the areas that you're looking at and, you know, the councils and the look and feel of exactly that neighborhood character that can start to inform like what's going to make your product different and what's your unique selling proposition that's going to drag people to your development and really make it in demand, you know, because again, if you're selling quite a few, then you really want to make sure that you're kind of getting those conversations and potentially even selling off the plan, which would be, you know, the absolute dream. So you're not even sort of waiting to fulfill that at the end, sort of standing there with your finished product going like, do you like it? Someone take it, you know? But I mean, I'm always going to advocate for good design. Uh, I think, again, having the right people in your corner makes all of the difference and getting some of those costs and things up front will give you all the reassurance in the world that it's heading in the right direction and you're doing something really beautiful because I think we're kind of lacking that, you know, you need to put out beautiful things into the world. And I think there's a lot that hasn't changed in our industry in like the last, you know, if you look at volume builders, not to sort of rubbish any part of the industry, but you look at those houses and they look the same, like they have looked the same for the last 20 years. And it's so bizarre to me that they're not keeping up or like progressing in any way in terms of design and in involvement. So that's why I'm always going to say, if you go to a designer, like you're pretty guaranteed that they're just going to love doing something great for your site and that's going to attract your buyers. So Definitely. Look, thank you for sharing the wealth of information and knowledge, Emma. Do you give a shout out to Emma on her socials? Um, Emma, do you want to give a quick call out as to your socials? You know, what is your tag? How can people reach out to you? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm always up for chat. So if you ever want to book in a Zoom and have a little conversation, you can do so via the website. That's www.weareforma.com.au. And my Instagram is at weareforma. Perfect. Thank you very much. And again, look, if you have any comments, questions, or share your stories, you know, please, please do jump into the comments, jump on our socials, you know, to share your own stories, reach out to Emma or ourselves if you have any specific requirements in relation to your own site. Thank you for listening to us. Keep smiling, stay safe, keep investing. This is Moss and Emma checking out. Adios. Thanks. Bye.